we're back. And we're back. Hi, Joe. What's going on? Hi, everyone. What's happened in the last two weeks? Not much. Been quiet. Yeah. Not much going on. Well, Lloyd Austin's back. Yeah. Back in hospital. Good to see. Um, I mean... I mean, that's... That's... That's that's not good. It's I, someone, someone should tell him, like, just D-Manos, dude, three times a day. If mm-hmm. it's just a urinary tract infection, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. Here's a CBS News report about it. They're calling it a, a emergent bladder issue, Pentagon says. Emergent bladder issue. Uh-huh. Scroll down there. We'll see what the hell that's supposed to mean. I've never heard of that. He's pissed off. He's pissed off. Um, Austin was taken to Walter Reed again Sunday. That would be last Sunday, following symptoms. So he's not been out since. So he's been in hospital a week, following symptoms of an emergent bladder issue. Oh, this time he was a good boy. He has since transferred his duties to his deputy. Okay, he's not gone secret. He learned um, from his mistake, yeah. He underwent non-surgical procedures under general anesthesia. Non-surgical procedures. Why would you go under general? For non-surgical. Yeah, what can you think of? Um, As always being, with the Pentagon, you're left guessing because... Maybe having his... Being brainwashed or I know, having his memory wiped or something or... I don't know if you need to be... On, yeah, you probably do need to be on anesthesia. Maybe, well... Yeah, you might have been... Had a... Had a First... A brainwash. A brainwash. Um, he's being seen for symptoms suggesting an emergent bladder issue. Dude, guys, what's with the Orwellian speak? What does that mean? Symptoms suggesting an emergent. <sighs> okay. Um, and specifically, the hospital official said that Austin was admitted to a critical care unit. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. well, we'll see. The current bladder issue is not expected to change his anticipated full recovery. Crikey. Okay. Um, well, that's that. Everything's fine then. Yep. Over in the Pentagon. Um, in Ukraine, everything's fine too. Except, no, it isn't. Hard to gauge these things, but what would you what would you make of the Avdivka collapse? Mm, it's one more nail in the coffin. Yeah, it's 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 I not mean, nothing. It's well, it, it I was, mean, it was a hell of a fortress. Yeah, the main it was. Yeah, but the uh, the main reason for the Russians to want to take control of Avdivka uh, was to uh, stop. Um, Donetsk being being missiled because that was the primary primary place from which all the missiles were right. hitting Donetsk. You know, it's only about fifteen kilometers, ten miles away or so. Um, so that was a primary target for them to. to I've seen to statements from the few Western journalists who are there that for the first time in they can remember the city is quiet. They've gone, they gone a day without shelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years. So, but that's just. I mean, they've been. They've been basically shelling 
Donetsk and other areas of Donbass for the past um, since 2014, so for the past 10 years basically, and primarily from Avdiivka. Uh, so, yeah, that, it's it's an, it's an interesting. It's symbolic in a certain sense because it's um, it highlights what the, the Russia's special military operation was uh, was all about. Really, it was about uh, protecting. You know, first and foremost, I suppose protecting the the people of of the Donbass. You know, and when they take take uh, take a, a turn from which you know Donbass and Donetsk was being shelled repeatedly for the past ten years, then it's kind of like it underlines why you know what the Russian Russian invasion of Ukraine was all about. You know, yeah, and Ukraine has the same rash, like the same excuses as before with Bakhmut. No, it wasn't strategically important. It mm. was. Um, also, we're falling back, you know, in an organized manner. They weren't mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be thousands of people wounded, abandoned, still yeah. left there. We'll see in the next few days what the Russians find. Yeah, the bottom bottom line is that uh, none of this, people keep forgetting that, you know, but the bottom line non, is that none of this conflict is about... Uh, for territory, you know, the <clears throat> Ukrainian and Western cope, cope masters were or have repeatedly all been highlighting, you know, maps of Ukraine showing how little Russia has actually taken, etc., etc. And they fail to <laughs> remember or understand even that, um, you know, war is about uh, two armies, uh, you know, setting against each other. And when one of those armies no longer has any... Uh, either weapons and or manpower, soldiers left, well then they've lost. Uh, territory has nothing to do with, uh, rel- you know, it's, it's less consequential or less less of a good indicator of the progress of the conflict than uh, numbers of people left on one side or the other who are able to actually fight, you know. Um, people seem to forget that, but it seems quite elementary, but... I don't know why people don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, they 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 like just they, imagine, they remember when it's convenient. When well, something just goes imagine that Ukraine has no more soldiers left, but Russia hasn't taken Kiev. Do you think the war will be over? Do you think you'll be able to say Russia has won when there is not one military age able-bodied Ukrainian left? You know, war is about you know picking up weapons and shooting them, right? You need people to pick up weapons and shoot them. You can supply all the weapons you want. If there's nobody to pick them up and shoot them, then you're not fighting anybody. You can't actually wage a war. So if Ukraine eventually gets to the point where they really have minimal or very very few um, military personnel left who are able to actually fight or are trained, well enough trained, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then the war is over. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much, <laughs> much territory Russia has or hasn't taken at that point, the war is over. Since we last spoke, Zaluzhny, head of the army in Ukraine, was mm. replaced. Mm. He's like, thank God. I mean, that was off and off for weeks. But a boon for him, you know, to get, out, get out of there at this point. And, and he's replaced with a guy called Sierski, mm. who the Russians have dipped into their archive footage to yeah. show was a Soviet, i.e. Russian soldier. Yeah. In the 1980s, trained mm-hmm. Russian Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy like like Zelensky himself actually the guy obviously has family in living in Russia mm-hmm. he's not even Ukrainian he happened to wind up there when the USSR collapsed and that he made it his home mm-hmm. which on the and Zelensky as well has family in Russia his, his brother is 
lived peacefully under no pressure whatsoever from Russian authorities in mm-hmm. Russia. Mm-hmm. Just from when I heard this, I was like, this just exactly makes Putin's point to Tucker Carlson late in his interview that really this has... He, Putin didn't say it's exactly like a civil war, but it has many aspects mm-hmm. of being a civil war. Well, that's the other thing we haven't talked about since, obviously it happened since our last show was um, Turk Carson in Moscow. Yeah, that was, yeah, two weeks ago. It was, it was all right. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it about, it, yeah, it was all right. We've heard it all before, but... I enjoyed it about as much as Putin did. <laughs> yeah. Um... He has, yeah. he has since said, well, we can go back to it, but he has since said to a, a Russian report, you know, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. I was expecting pointed, sharp, interrogating, and, and interrogative-like questions in order to give sharp answers. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Carlson is a dangerous man because he took a different tact. And he said he didn't enjoy it for that reason. Yeah, I didn't get the full satisfaction of it. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I, hard to say with Putin. Putin did put his foot down for the first, at the beginning, and set the tone. And uh, even when Carlson tried to interrupt him on his 30-minute uh, history, history of Russia, Putin would always tactfully go back to exactly where he left off. I don't think there's anything Carlson could have done to stop that happening, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So Putin said that after the fact, but... yeah. Uh, he he came with his documents. Remember, here's the documents mm-hmm. from our Russian archives. He, he was always going to talk about history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I, I obviously a lot of people have seen at this point probably well over a billion views. Um, uh huh. Even by last week, over a billion. Yeah, and Tucker was being a, a Russian fanboy type thing in his shorts afterwards, going around in the supermarket and showing right. how much it costs in a supermarket to buy a week's worth of groceries in a Russian supermarket and then going to a Russian, quote-unquote, McDonald's, whatever it's called, um, and saying it was, yeah, junk food just like America. So it's obviously his point was this place is, you know, uh, not what you've been told. He's just, he was, I mean, legitimately he was combating the massive amount of or attempting to balance out the massive amount of, you know, anti-Russian, especially in the past 20 years or so, or certainly in the last 10 years, anti-Russian propaganda the West have, Western populations have been subjected to, you know, characterizing it as a kind of failed state, a gas station with nukes, et cetera, et cetera. So it was fair enough that he, he did it. Of course, he was lambasted for it by the Western media, calling him, a, you know, Putin's puppet and all that kind of stuff. It's just nonsense, you know. At, at a certain point, you just go... You know, I mean, there's no balance anymore. There's no, there's no reason. There's no, um, no understanding of nuance, or uh, just no integrity in the Western media reporting on anything these days. You know what I mean? And I suppose they believe they have a captive audience. You know, people have been programmed. People in the West have been programmed with that kind of uh, black and white, oversimplified, really just fundamentally stupid reporting over the past well for a long time, and people just go with it because it's the simplistic the simplistic version of events is easier for people to absorb you know what I mean it's like okay who's the goodies and who's, who are the goodies and who are the bodies we still the goodies and they're the bodies okay point out the bodies okay fine and I can go back to sleep basically when obviously it, it, it always it's always struck me as bizarre how people like I assume that the average person understands nuance in the details of their daily lives and in the details, you know, in their relationships with other people, in their family, in their friends, in their community, etc. But they seem unable to 
project understand that 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 same kind of nuance and uh, gray area is is really the defining aspect of of life at the, at a macro level as well in politics and in in terms of um you know in world affairs you know the world affairs that they receive via the media the same level of nuanced and it's not so simple it's not black and white that they apply to their their lives and their relationships i presume uh, also applies to the, the the bigger scale events like so when they hear stuff like putin's a dictator and uh, russia's a, a gas station with nukes and nothing else it's like really you know what i mean it's unlikely that's unlikely to be the truth you know what i mean very unlikely to be the truth it's not it doesn't it doesn't kind of jive with human relationships and the way humans interact with each other and the way, the way countries are run, you know, and the, and the way individual humans are, you know what I mean? Um, of course, there have been, quote-unquote, dictators, but again, even, even in those situations where they're officially dictators, it's also nuanced. You know, so you have to be willing to and interested in, in, in studying and, and, and learning about those nuances and that kind of thing. But I think maybe the problem is people don't have the time and the effort or the uh, well, inclination there, to do it. And that's what the media should provide for people. But they don't. There's a well-known well bias at work. Uh, if you tell people only things in a certain direction, the human mind is smart enough, even if it doesn't have the time or the inclination to you know, learn a, the, an objective picture for itself. Mm -hmm. There's a built-in bias, which is that it will find the happy medium. If, if the, you sense they're telling you lies every day about an issue, Russia, for example, lie, 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 you, you will find a, a happy medium where you go, well, it's probably partly true. And that, I think, was what Tucker was trying to dispel. Not so much the kind of baseline picture of Russia as a backwater gas station with nukes over decades, but that today specifically, as a result of this war, life isn't just fine in Russia. It's booming. It's normal. Yeah. You know? I think, you, well, you have more faith in the average person than I do, because maybe, and obviously there is no average person, it's only individuals, so... Um, but far too many people that I've listened to or had had the opportunity to, to converse with on this topic and not at great length for obvious reasons is, is that they simply just repeat to me what's in the BBC you know look what that Putin did Putin's evil uh, I just get I just get uh -huh. the headlines back at me you know what I mean yeah. from the average person now of course there's many different types of people but I think far too many people um, you know don't just, just go with that, you know. Just go with what they read in the news. They get their opinion from the news, and the news gives them the, this black and white, oversimplified version of events in the world, uh, and particularly the enemy du jour, uh, in this case Putin um, or China. You know, everybody, so many people believe that China is actually a communist country. You know, that it's communism, com and then they conjure up images in their head of what communism is based on what they've been told or what their parents were told or what they absorbed mm. from somewhere. And they imagine China, a country of 1.8 billion people, are all living in gulags or something, or all, all li living in Soviets, right? Like wooden huts where they're all peasant farmers. Uh, <laughs> you know, because that's what communism is. That's why it's deadly, you know, evil, deadly, commie, pinko commie Chinese trying to subvert our democracy. Well, what are those, well, how do they live? You know, am I, you know, they probably don't think much about it, but if you ever for asked them to, they would probably tr come up with some version of that. Forgetting the fact that all the food, the chair that they're sitting on in the great American democracy, and the table and the computer, and pretty much everything in the room, and, and probably the entire house that they're in, most of it was manufactured Made in China. China. Uh, so they're obviously not peasant farmers. Um, okay. But anyway, that's okay. just lamenting the state of uh, people's but, thought processes about things. To back up my <clears throat> point, a billion views. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you know it was a billion? 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, all told, in all places it was seen, and that's just what we can deduce from Western platforms. Who knows well, how many Chinese? Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, okay. When you say that, but I'm, I've been more focused on how many people in the West saw it because I don't think many people in China necessarily need to. No. You know, be informed. It's, it's people in the West who. Um, Two hundred million on, tw- on on Twitter. Um. So yeah, and then but. I think the rest of them all smaller. So I don't know how many, uh, how many million there were, but certainly it's more than enough to. It's mo- it was apparently it was more than enough, and I have a real conundrum with uh, the event that followed on a few days later, after that interview, which is Navalny. Um, Navalny's inevitable uh, demise. I know it's like we've been waiting for it for ten years. Yeah, this was always going to happen, and. The timing of it is just strange to me because I can't really explain that one. I mean, normally I would say, because the effect in the media, and I always look to the effect in the media of, 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 of you know, how the media approaches any given situation and, and in what context it's happening. So you have Tucker big up in Russia to Western audiences and, and, and you know, promoting Russian, promoting Putin effectively in a more positive light than they've been used to, to Western audiences. A lot of people seeing it. And then immediately, like within a few days, the media gets a story, i.e. Navalny's death, and uses it to do exactly the opposite, to reset, uh, to rebalance, <laughs> they would probably say, and present Russia as this, you know, Putin as an evil assassin dictator, and Russia as this kind of like horrible country where uh, freedom-loving um, liberals liberals like, like Navalny, supposedly, uh, get just, you know, just, just get offed, um, and that domin- has been dominating the the Western media for within a few days. That that has dom- that then dominated the Western media, and it still is today. Um, so it was, a, it was a correction, you know. It was a pushback against Carlson. Navalny was a pushback against Carlson. Was, but how that happened? Because then the obvious the obvious explanation for that is well, somehow someone, someone in the West off Navalny in a Russian prison in Siberia. Uh, in order to provide that negative image, pushback image about Russia. But really, who, I can't imagine, I mean, I don't know, but I can't imagine that any Western agent would have any access to a fairly, you know, a very isolated and very tightly controlled uh, Russian prison in Siberia. I, I don't think a CIA agent could just walk in there and Epstein, Epstein him, you know. Um, well, there was a Russian report <coughs> that his lawyer visited him few days before yeah so that's one way but surely so he had he was able to receive visitors yeah but surely if his lawyer was free the, enough to be active still politically yeah in contact with his ngo type people but surely if his lawyer was in the pay of the cia you would assume the f the fsb the russian intelligence would have figured that out before now and wouldn't would have, would have maybe predicted this possibly they would certainly well, wouldn't maybe want they, anybody maybe they saw it and just said well let, let it be. The West will do what it wants with propaganda. We don't give it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they don't it care. Could be spy versus spy, where yeah. it's like, okay, just they, they've always wanted. They're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, the last time they did it to him, who's and who they is? Okay, we don't know. Officially, the Western narrative is that he boarded a plane and presumably a Russian spy tried to poison him on the plane. He landed sick, flew to Germany for treatment, recovered, returned to Russia in January, and went straight to. He was arrested on outstanding charges. 
Yeah. I don't know, but like you said, it's just the timing. The narrative timing is just so, well, it's, it's, it's crass. I, they would say it's perfect, but it's crass. Because this week, what Americans were subjected to about this, it was, think about it, it was pay attention to this single Russian, not Russia, not Putin, this single case, right? And here on the nighttime news, she was all over it, is Hillary Clinton to give her view about it. And there was Hillary Clinton saying, you know, this is, oh my God, it's so tragic. I was just in contact with Alexei a few days ago. Mm. We maintained great, I don't know how the hell was she, Hillary Clinton was in contact with him in the prison? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how free, how unfree is Russia again? Um, and this is Hillary Clinton, who I think it's fair to say a majority of Americans detest and loathe. So let, it's kind of like, let them run with their psyop because mm-hmm. it's not going to work the way they think it's working. Mm-hmm. Sure, they get surround sound, full spectrum media domination coverage. That's all people are hearing. But is that all people are thinking? Yeah. Again, this could be I'm having too much faith in people, and all they'll do now is repeat that the headlines. But mm. I don't know. After it's what, what are we now? Eight years of this shit. I, I think it's having unintended consequences in the privacy of people's minds. What is? This non-stop Russia, 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 Russia. Mm. Pushback, yeah. Well, eventually, yeah, people start to question. This is uh, February 2021, so three years ago. uh, Navalny was stripped by Amnesty International of his prisoner of conscience status. So this is when he was in prison previously. And they said that he had... um, There were many xenophobic comments that he had made in the past and he had not retracted them when asked... um, other people, well, there's videos that have been posted. There are videos of him um, calling for pogroms against Muslims. Yeah, and other things. So he's people. You know, he's been described as an avowed racist, and um, Westerners are so ignorant. In Russia, a liberal is a far right person. So neo Nazis would attend his rallies, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not like bleeding heart, let's green the planet liberals. No, neo-Nazis. And when he was asked about it by the press, he's on record, he's there, they're in the background giving the Zeke Heil, mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm fine with it. Everyone's welcome to attend my rallies. Yeah. So, but yet he's lauded as, you know, defender of freedom and democracy and a wonderful, upstanding kind of guy, and it's a horrible day that, you know, that he's, he's died. It's just, there's so much, again, black and white, oversimplified nonsense. Um... Let me see. A huge. So this is talking about him removing it. Um, so he has YouTube video, videos. Navalny has not publicly denounced his YouTube videos. Uh, so our idea is that somehow he can relate to what he said. Um, he cannot be a prisoner of conscience. That is someone who never advocates hate or violence or uses hate speech. Um, Anyway, uh, the guy's you know well known to have over like for twenty years really. Um, he's been an agent of the U.S. State Department um, as a rabble rouser within Russia, attempting to overthrow or undermine uh, the Russian state um, or the British, whoever would pay him most. Yeah, all of them probably. <laughs> he's taking money from all of them. Um, him and his, his organization. So, I mean, he, he just makes himself a. An enemy. He would make himself an enemy of any state in which he was doing what he's been doing uh, in, in Russia. 
Um, and he would have been, if it was in the UK, he would have been Julian Assange, you know. Um, in the US, you wouldn't even get off the ground. Yeah. There's, there's, there, you've seen the black and white <clears throat> and undercover recording. Um, it's not him personally. Mm. It's someone he sent to meet a British spy mm-hmm. in a restaurant in Moscow mm-hmm. to ask for, can I have like 10 or 20 million and I can get this thing going? This yeah. thing being protest. That's yeah, 2012. That's because Putin was about to re-enter. He was running for election mm-hmm. again after being prime minister. And the the things synced. They know Putin's coming back. Right, okay, get Navalny mm-hmm. activated. Let's get something going in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, is it here? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> job <laughs> of course community note eggheads um community noted it to say that's not navalny that's his associate which you know just underscores the point that obviously navalny was the head of something else is that, is that community network. noted not yours in specific but other iterations of that video hmm. that's the guy in question there on the left hmm. yeah um, mine doesn't say it's navalny Yours didn't say it, right? Maybe others did say, mm. here's Navalny, but it was that other guy, Vladimir something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Director of his anti-corruption, anti-corruption fund. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's just the state of uh, the well, Western media. And also the fact that his wife was at the Munich Security Conference, about to go on stage to give mm-hmm. a speech. And is she normally in the business of doing that? I don't Who think knows? So. It's very well orchestrated. A lot of things these days are very well orchestrated, you know. Uh, it seemed to be. Um, it's it's classic West, though. Like, you know, ignore the massive overall thing and all the nuances in between. Instead, focus here on this single iteration, this single example. We want to pull your heartstrings, so here's one. Zoom in on this, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's classic. It's like... I want to talk before about the whole abortion issue in the United States and how Roe versus Wade was decided in the 1970s. It was like, it was, there was such a massive campaign behind it to focus on the single woman. And they held her up as the individual, the example for whom we must overturn the entire country's mm-hmm. approach to abortion. And the woman in particular, 
it was a whole media campaign about her, obviously, of the day. But she turned out to be nuts. Like, she, she went back on it herself. Her own, uh, she wasn't able to get her abortion. Mm-hmm. Virginia Rowe, Ro, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and her daughter survived, and they ended up being estranged. And Anyway, it's, it's, it's zooming in on the, indiv- the, the example. And they think they, they, it, it helps reinforce the belief, the false belief in the West that the government cares about you, the individual. Right. So here we'll hold up the individual as king, the exemplar for whom you are all, he is she and you are he and we're all one with this person, you know? Right. Because we care about this one person. Right. Meanwhile, we've just killed indirectly, but substantially it was our fault, a half a million Ukrainians mm-hmm. in, in a pointless war, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to plumb the depths of the hypocrisy. And while the interview was being aired, you know, the day Tucker Carlson released it on X, the White House called a press conference for Biden, so Biden could respond to what had just happened in Washington: the release of a DOJ investigative report into his handling of classified documents. This was, I don't know, again, in terms of like perception and coordinating and distracting and pulling the audience back from where it seems they're all about to watch, you know, Tucker, mm-hmm. Tucker and, Tucker and uh, Putin. This is, this is, people have seen it, but you know, there have only been like 11. This was maybe the 12th Biden press conference in his entire term because they don't want the guy up there too much. He has the fewest interactions with the press of any U.S. president. Mm-hmm. Have a listen. Thank you, and I'll take some questions. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's what his memory has gotten worse, Mr. So my memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. That was actually in the report. He's a well-meaning yeah, yeah. man yeah. with poor memory. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows that it. it's officially on paper now. He's, mm. he's senile. And, of course, he since went on to make the gaffe about um, CC, the president of Mexico. Mm. That was the same day. And I, I, got, I thought at the time, that's, this is such an own goal. They're trying to, like, pull at least the Washington press corps away from don't talk about Putin. Just, just stay back here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's interesting that that's going on um, politically in the United States because I don't know. No, the, the report was its own thing. Separately, though, something remarkable-ish happened. We got the most tepid statement from Biden, maybe subsequent to that, about Israel and what it's doing in Gaza being... He said very quietly, but he said it. It was over the top. And then the next day, or at least for the next few days, a rash of reports in the United States media about Biden's dementia. Mm-hmm. 
how can he go on? It looks like he can't. Mm-hmm. Who are we going to get to replace him? And the Washington Post is a, a big, big three-page spread about how Kamala is ready to serve. God help us. <laughs> oh, my God. So I just – I don't – yeah, I don't envy them trying to figure out this year and the next, you know, the election, Biden. Right? Yeah. It's it's on paper now. The cat's out of the – genie's out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. It's okay now for the press corps in D.C. to question his state of mind. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, that's leading up to obviously <laughs> still leading up to this this election. Everybody's super excited about this this year's election, but for all the wrong reasons, you know. Uh, everybody's a lot of people, anybody's watching, I suppose, are expecting that it's just going to be some kind of a some kind of a shit show, you know. Um, which it very likely will be, you know, given the way the past two elections in the U.S. have gone. That'll just be a, a kind of a repeat of those, but on steroids, maybe, you know, with something. You know, there could be a. A kind of Democrat, you know, a deep state Washington establishment version of January 6th could actually happen. You know, now that, now that, the, 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 you know, the Trump Trump was allowed to do his January 6th, there could be a kind of like, a, 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 but a more official corporate uh, deep state Washington establishment version of January 6th, you know. Because um, they have a history of, the, the deep staters, the anti-Trumpers, basically in the establishment, have a history of um, of doing what they accuse Trump of doing, Trump mm-hmm. of, of planning to do or wanting to do, and then they themselves do it. You know, uh, in fact, there's a there's a thing. It's it's defunct now, but there's a thing, uh, a group they set up in 2020, just in advance of the 20 of the last election, <coughs> um, called the um, Transition Integrity Project. It's apparent supposedly no longer in existence but it was uh, a series of political scenarios it was basically exercising you know the war games exercise or the the kind of crisis um you know the exercise they do planning for well they do exercise for all sorts of things these days they did one for covid in in 2019 they they did they do one for terror terror attacks where they game out a kind of exercise and they so it makes sense that they would do one for political uh, foo bars as well. And this is a series of political scenario exercises in the US at the beginning of June, June 2020. So, you know, six months or so before the election and seven months before before the great interaction of January 2021. Involving over 100 current and former senior government and campaign leaders, i.e., you know, mostly deep staters, CIA, former CIA, former some intel agency, DNC types. The exercise exam examined political potential disruptions to the 22 presidential election and transition. It was a short-term project run under the auspices of the organization Project Protect Democracy, which is basically a deep state DNC, you know, Washington establishment outfit. Um, so if you just go down to war games, <laughs> call them war games. Uh, the Podestas, I saw the names. The Podestas there. are in there, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, well, the names of it. Michael Steele, f- former chair of the Republic RNC, so he's a rhino. Uh, John Podesta, no need to say much more about him. Uh, Donna Brazil, DNC, of the act- and acting chair of the DNC. William, Billy Crystal, um, not the Billy Crystal, William Crystal, uh, Arch Neocon, Edward Luce, another uh, j- journalist, CIA. Um, Max Boot, CIA. David Frum, um, Obama speechwriter. Obama speechwriter. Atlantic Council. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, he's a new con. So, anyway, go down to War Games. They call them War Games. Super cool. Um, That's how they see the domestic political mm. landscape. So the four scenarios that they were War. anticipating. This, this was anticipating Trump winning or not winning or, or, or Biden winning or not winning. It's not very clear. They were just gaming out the scenarios here and, and how it could all be. But all focused on making sure Trump, you know, doesn't doesn't get to be president, basically. So game one was called Ambiguous. The first game inv- investigated a scenario in which the outcome of the election remained unclear from election night and throughout g- gameplay. The results from three states are in contention and ballots are destroyed in one of the states, making it unclear who would have won that state. Neither campaign is willing to concede. Game two, clear Biden win. Biden wins both the Electoral College and popular vote. Trump alleges fraud and takes steps to benefit himself and his family, but ultimately hands the White House over to Biden. Game three, clear Trump win. Third scenario started with an Electoral College victory for Trump, but a popular vote win for former Vice President Biden, just like 2016 with Clinton, right? Uh, In this scenario, Biden refused to concede, convinced the Democratic governors of two states that Trump won to that Trump won, to send separate slates of electors to the Electoral College, encourage three states to threaten secession, and convince the House of Representatives to refuse to certify the election and declare Biden the victor. That's exactly what they accused Trump of. Exactly. Which is, what I'm saying is, that could happen this year. But it would be them forestalling it happening organically by just playing their hand and doing it themselves. Exactly, they would do it themselves. Because they're anticipating a Trump win. Yeah, you know, so um, they don't really seriously believe that they can, even with rigging and stuff, they don't believe they, that they can get away with pushing Biden in for another four years, right? So, unless he switched out between now, now and then. then, which is possible, but if if it ends up being Biden, then Trump's going to win. Um, and here they have a scenario where they, the deep, deep state, could contest a Trump win. Because it would be screaming at the sky and never Trump Riots. and Trump's a dictator and this is a threat to our democracy, this can't happen, blah, blah, blah. But then what do they do then? Do they, they, do they accept that Trump is the president, but they keep... They just, but, but, they just spelled it out there. The third scenario started with an electoral college victory for Trump, yeah. but a popular, popular vote for win for Biden. Yeah. Uh, Biden refuses to concede convinces the Democratic governors of two states that Trump won to send separate slates of electors to the Electoral College, encourage three states to threaten secession, and convince the House of Representatives to refuse to serve the election and to declare Biden the victor. Okay, so they would make Biden win after six months of chaos or so? Hmm. Well, over a period of time, yeah. yeah. Do what they claimed that Trump, that Trump was, was going trying to, to do. do. And that they're prosecuting Trump for yeah. currently in the Georgia case. Yes. And the final scenario explored a narrow Biden win where he leads with less than 1% of the vote and has a slim lead. The Trump campaign sows chaos, but Senate Republicans and the Joint Chiefs of Staff eventually signal that they accept Biden's win. Trump refuses to leave and is removed by the Secret Service. Uh, and so it released a report outlining his findings. So people are gaming these scenarios all the time, you yeah. know. So there is reason to be, you know, to be fairly sure that uh, they don't want Trump to be uh, president again they don't want to have him to have another four terms they're going to use all sorts of invective and, and hysterical you know language to try and convince everybody that's that that, that that that's it's a threat to our democracy and and yet they have to game that because they know that democratically he's going to win yeah 
so they're trying to figure out a way to do If you can stop that, Scotty, that one just before um, it loads, you know, so we can just see the the headline. It's a Washington Post uh, article by Robert Kagan, Kagan who is... Um, is Victoria Newland's... Victoria Newland of the Maidan Cookies fame and Fuck the EU fame... Um, she we looked at this one when it came out. Did we? Yeah. yeah I just wanted to bring it up again. It's was yeah. from it's from late late last year. You got it. He's working on it. He's refreshing. Stop. Yeah. There you go. Um. So they have Trump as a, a Caesar. A Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. Now this is Robert Kagan, who is the wife of the current Undersecretary of State for Eurasian Affairs, Reverend Victoria Newland, but she's... Husband, I think. Sorry, did but I say his wife? These days, yes, who knows? Wife. Yeah, okay, husband, sorry. <laughs> he, he could be her wife. Uh, anyway, so when you read something by him, you know what these people are thinking and what their attitude is. And they're un, I mean, you don't have to look at just them, but they're unrelentingly and hysterically anti-Trump. Like saying, uh, basically, uh, a Trump dictatorship. <laughs> I mean, Trump and dictator and dictatorship are synonymous in these people's minds. And it's not, these, are, these aren't just people with opinions. These are people who are currently deep within the Washington establishment and fully on board with uh, the kind of deep state intelligence groupings, right? So, I mean, they're convinced that Trump... And, and the other one, another one then was uh, a few weeks later, he, <laughs> he can't stop himself, you know, he has to keep going. The Trump dictatorship, <laughs> dictatorship how to stop it. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know, unseat him, uh, use unconstitutional means, assassinate him, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, split the country in two, have the... Well, no, bring in the Transition Integrity Project and just enact... Well, exactly, that's the best tabletop exercise. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so there are all the ways to stop it. We're just looking at it on the Wikipedia page. So there are various different ways to stop it. So, yeah, people have good reason to be be worried or concerned about this year's election in the US um, because um, these people are serious. It's an amazing. Making sure he doesn't. It's an, ama- it's an amazing turn of history. Go you on. know, there's, what do you call him? Matt Taibbi wrote an article a week or, about a week, 10 days ago, whatever. Um, I can't remember the title of it. We'll put it in the show notes. But uh, he was just, I mean, it wasn't anything new as far as we're concerned, but he's just gone back over the past four to eight years basically of the whole Twitter files and how the organizations that were set up to uh, he was focusing on the evidence for basically state censorship of the internet that the CIA and the NSA and all the different intelligences in the US and the deep state and the Washington establishment had decided that you know in the context of Trump that he was this i.e. a dire threat to democracy he should be stopped it was our democracy was over if Trump gets in we need and and they decided that the only way that they could um the main way they, that they could had to combat that was by censorship on the internet, and then hence the Twitter files and the FBI and Yoel uh, Roth and people at Twitter and F- Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook all conniving with uh, intelligences to censor directly censor develop software and, and algorithms that directly censor speech on the internet. You know, um, and you know to the point that they saw any post on Twitter or on Facebook, any major social media by anybody with any not even with a lot of followers, but any, anybody posting on, on Facebook or, or any, any social media that was supportive of Trump was seen as a cyber cyber attack. Uh, that this was, yeah, a cyber 
cyber attack. They call them cyber attacks. What is it called? Cyber hacking, cyber attacking. Anyway, yeah. cyber attack. Um, so basically, they had potentially millions, and you did have millions of people on social media, not just in America, but elsewhere around the world, who were all launching cyber attacks against American democracy by posting stuff that was favorable to Twitter or, or favorable to, to, to Trump. To Trump. Uh, undermining, <coughs> you know, posting about Hunter Biden's laptop, anything along those lines that was that that, that they didn't like was seen by them as a cyber attack, and um, and they had to do something about it. So they developed all these software tools, basically censored, and they set up all these different organizations, you know, staffed with all the former intel agency chiefs and all that kind of stuff, and different different luminaries, and they're all on the same page about you know uh, Trump is a dire threat toward toward democracy, and we have to take him down by whatever means, means necessary, and we have to censor the internet so that he cannot. Um, so that he doesn't get any support. So that we we have to stop stop the message. You know, and we've talked a lot in the show, but or repeat, repeatedly made mention of the fact that America's dominance in the world is at least fifty percent based on propaganda. You know, uh, their military dominance, their military prowess is at least fifty percent, if not more, based on propaganda. It's like, look how big and strong I am. I think literally fifty percent of the Pentagon's budget is propaganda. Yeah. So it's extremely important to these people and they realise that the rise or falls on the information that people get access to so they have to lock down on it you know, and they're doing it. I don't know if they consciously believe they're doing it for the best of intents or if they're actually doing it just because they know they're doing it for their own interests You because know, I want to remain, we want to make sure America remains top dog in the world because all of our high paying jobs and lives of luxury depend on that and we, we can't have you know America be taken down several pegs in the global order because then we're screwed as well so we're doing it for our own self-interest but also maybe it's both you know my self-interest and the greater good as well because my self-interest is basically synonymous with the greater good you know as long as I can remain uh, uh, an important person in uh, in American politics you know with a high paying job then I can secure the world order as it is today which is securing uh, the standard of living that Americans have become used to because if we don't do something about this and we don't Stop Trump, as one example. Stop Russia. Stop China. Stop all of our enemies trying to undermine us. Then all Americans are going to suffer. So I don't think it's one or the other. They can see it as their own self-interest plus the interest of the American people. Anyway, the interesting thing about that, about the article by Matt Taibbi, was that he just pointed out. It seems obvious at this point, but we knew that in in June, May, June, twenty twenty, they were putting together all of these different tools to censor the internet. Um, and they were, they were, um, the way they were going about it made it clear that they knew, well, <laughs> a, a core part of their, 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 their line of thinking and their reasoning in terms of why we need to censor the internet was to prevent Trump and Trump followers, and Trump supporters from contesting the election. They went full bore on that. We have to shut down. Uh, and this is seven, six, seven months before the election. They decided they had to go full bore on preventing uh, people, preventing there being a, a you know a, any significant amount of people being able to discuss um, the legitimacy of the U.S. election. Which is, and it seems obvious now. Cause I don't know if we thought about it at the time, but it seems obvious now. Now that's strongly suggestive of the fact that they knew that the election was going to be contested. 
I mean, of course, they could claim that old yeah. Trump's a dictator. He would he would question it anyway, and that's why they have to call him a dictator, right? Because a dictator would question the election with no legitimacy, with with no uh, reason, just because he wants to be a dictator. I want to be president. I don't care. So they had to pitch him as that. But in reality, I think it's evidence that they knew that they were going to rig the 2020 election. Or somebody knew, and it filtered up or down or wherever. So they went full, full, full force on trying to, on, on, let's all sit, sit down here for the next six months and figure out and put in place ways and means that we can prevent people on the internet from questioning the legitimacy, openly questioning the legitimacy of the election. And I was like, why would you want to do that if you, you I mean, what gives you any, any reason to think that the, the legitimacy of the election would be questioned? Are you suggesting that you know that there's going to be something weird about this 2020 election that would make people question it, like mail-in ballots, all that kind of stuff? I mean, is there some going to, are there going to be... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can see where this would go, right? Yeah. But their own answer would be, no, 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 of course not. We're, we're not planning to rig this election. We're just saying that given our, our analysis of Trump over the past three years at that point uh, in power... We're pretty sure that he's a dictator type of guy, and even when he loses legitimately on a free and fair election this November 2020, he's gonna he's gonna question the legitimacy of it anyway, on on no basis whatsoever, of course, right? Because he's a dictator. Because he wants to be a dictator. <coughs> so you can see how the whole thing is. Uh, it's weird. It's it's a monstrous delusion. Either it's either whether or not it's a delusion in these people's heads, or whether it's a a conscious. <clears throat> deliberate, you know, smear smear campaign, ongoing long term smear campaign, for lots of other good reasons that that are easily understandable in terms of how why they don't want for real reasons why they don't want Trump in power. Not that he's a dictator, but rather that he doesn't he wouldn't play ball uh, a traditional Washington D.C. way in terms of domestic affairs and, and foreign affairs. That he was obviously a a wild card in that respect, and he had to not be allowed, had to be prevented from from uh, having a second. He had to be prevented from getting to be president in the first place, and he had to be prevented from getting a second term. Um, so it's just it's weird to see that where, where you can see the obvious, re- the very clear, understandable, understandable from a certain perspective reasons why they would not want Trump in power in the first place, and certainly not for a second term. But then to see all of the fantasy that they build around that because they're unable are unwilling to just simply say, tell the truth about why they don't want Trump in power. They don't want him in power not because he's a, he's a dictator or he's a crazy, or he's a rapist or he's a fraudster or anything like that. They don't want him in power because he's not an establishment politician and he has clearly got, clearly has ideas about how to run America and America's position in the world that from the perspective of the established, unelected, deep state group uh, and also, it's, how, it's a disaster. Yeah, and also how the world is changing. Yeah, Trump acknowledges that <clears throat> that G, that G. Yeah, he's doing great things, great things over there in China. I mean, mm. Behind all Don't that, behind that. all that dopey kind of catchy, kitschy American stuff, he's aware that okay, this is structurally inevitable, and this clashes with the ideological exceptionalism in Washington that they will rule in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. over the earth, they will lord it over the earth for eternity. They yeah. truly believe that. Yeah. It's that ideological difference. So that they wouldn't be able to say that openly, right? They wouldn't be able to say, "Listen, Trump cannot be in power because his ideology of how 
uh, of Amer- his ideas about um, about how the world works inevitably mesh with multipolarity. Yes, and America's place in the world is uh, his ideas about America's place in the world and what it should and shouldn't do is are very different from our the way we have run America and run the world for the past you know up to a hundred years. And that's why we can't, he can't be allowed in power. It's not that he's, he'd do anything bad or wrong or moral or anything like that. It's just that he would do something different. Yeah. And they don't agree with him doing something you know, fairly radically different. And he has to go. Yeah. For that reason. And the, the, the popular will that agrees with Trump, that it's, the world is changing and it's time to adapt, mm. that, must be, that must be crushed. Yeah. Why? Because we, know, we, we are the noble elite. We know better than... And mm. them, what is and when, what is, what is not, and what is to come. Remember, they always have one eye in the future as well. Mm. They're not perfect soothsayers, but they are obsessed with the future. Climate change, climate crisis, climate migration, yada yada yada. Yeah, it's a weird version of it, but they are aware of the potential for upcoming cataclysmic stuff, and they don't intend to shape. They don't intend to prepare the world in any way sensibly for it. Although, as they see it, they do. Mm that the sensible thing to do is to um, have full open borders to anticipate climate migration from upcoming climate crisis and start the ball rolling already. There are other reasons for it as well, like the psychological reasons. They, they're so messed up, the worst of them anyway, mm-hmm. that um, they do. What the, what the right-wingers do say about them is true, that they hate their country. Mm. What that means specifically is they, they seem to hate normal people. Mm. They really do look down on them, hmm. and they want normal people to be. Okay. They want to. That's the revolutionary aspect of the whole ideological progress. You know, um, SJW type mentality. They really are not quite like most people around them, but they really believe that they can get their kids from a young age and change them into thinking more like they think. Hmm. And so, part of this is about getting as much new non-American influence into the United States or non-European influence into Europe ahead of time so that there's no cohesion. And I don't even know to the extent to which they actually strategically think this out, but you've got to start to wonder how do they really think about these things because that is what they're trying to do. 11 million people across the United States border in three years of Biden's term. More people come in than are born in the United States. I mean, that's, forget Ellis Island, forget the massive waves of people that came from Ireland, Poland, escaping the Jewish pogroms in Russia at the end of the 19th century. This is like orders of magnitude greater. This is way beyond America will take in all your, you know, your poor and your desperate and stuff. 11 million people. There, and there, there aren't enough of everything. Even in the United States, there is not enough of everything. Well, it's you. been absorbed so far, right? But maybe it's yet to manifest in terms of... Absorbed, yeah, if, absorbed, yeah. If you send all the kids home and tell them they have to do virtual learning from now on because their school is now where the migrants live. Hmm. Yeah. If you say to people, well, if you're on a business trip to New York, you can't stay in a hotel. Maybe you could stay in a friend's house because the hotels are all full of migrants. I mean, yeah, it's possible. It's like people who say Ireland is not full and they point to the geography of where people live. Yeah, technically, you could shunt... 100,000 people into those two fields over there. Mm. Okay. Is that the end of your argument? Seriously. What about, you know, sanitary facilities, uh, food, (laughs) shelter, you know? Um, So there's something mental going on that the other side, so to speak, in quotes, or those at the top, don't articulate fully, but they are hell-bent on getting it done. And however way they understand why they're doing what they're doing, they're doing it. 
And so all of this effort is an effort to silence people, suppress popular will, mass, massive censorship, so that the thing that they want done can be done. And the thing they want done is? Oh, what is it? Is it to create chaos or is chaos just a byproduct of it? I'm not sure. We anticipate chaos coming. There's, there's that. There's that. Anticipate becomes, chaos coming by creating it. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing where it, where it becomes, then becomes blurred. You know, where uh, they anticipate some kind of chaos or some kind of a they feel the hound to hell at their feet type thing uh, for some, you know, probably personal, you know, pathological, psychopathic reasons, or whatever. Who, who knows? Just control, domination, that kind of thing. They just, and then they enact policies uh, to to try and offset. The, or to budget for the anticipated chaos that they imagine is going to come or they feel is going to come and then those policies actually bring it on and then they say see and then they double down on them even yeah. more and more and more so it's a weird kind of like it's hard to control you know yeah and the, the more day to day mundane political case is that those in power at the moment want to stay there and they see they feel they sense they can see on their algorithms that the popular discontent counter narratives are boiling up Shit, there's an election coming up. This is likely to translate in our key parties losing their seats. What do we do? And mm-hmm. then they act. Mm-hmm. But the, the source of the popular uprising against them is, is, is more than just one thing. It's the entire package of what they're trying to do. You know? mm. um, yeah. Okay, can I just say something quick? Um, Matt Taibbi and Schellenberger, not to um, denigrate what they did. It was great. Twitter files was awesome but there's another guy people should check out he Tucker Carlson's first interview when he came back to the US was with this guy Mike Benz um, mm-hmm. on, he's on X at Mike Benz Cyber he's been talking about this for years um, and he's getting more and more traction he goes into a lot more detail about what he calls the censorship in industry and how it works it's, it's way more than just uh, deep state spooky types getting in getting influence mm-hmm. on X and say, sending across data sheets, you know, please uh, delete these 11,000 tweets. Mm-hmm. He's catalogued, at least that he can see, something like 20 million tweets that were deleted um, in the run-up to the 2020 election. 20 million tweets. That's basically like, you know, a couple of million people there, their conversation was just silence, you know. Yeah. Um, 20 million, yeah. Uh, that's, in, that's election interference right there. Um, um, yeah, people should check out his, his interview. It, it, it's... It, as he himself characterized it, the Twitter files was just like barely the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole um, enmeshment of <clears throat> corporate plus uh, government plus uh, academia, and it, it's kind of a, it, it's it. And it began in 2016, of course, with the whole fake news thing. Well, that began the pressure on Facebook, and then um, t- Twitter CEO Jack, what's his name? to do something about it you know mm-hmm. that was just the out that was just the outer form that that battle took place behind the scenes massive amounts of money were being redirected whole there were whole he said he explains that there are massive startups that took place 10 years ago that are now active creating the ai the, the machine learning that would be able to basically see see in real time the way a counter narrative to a key government position is forming mm-hmm. and had to dampen it in multiple ways and this, the act of sending over a guy, Agent X, sending over a database to, to Twitter, that was just a part of it. Mm-hmm. Much of this stuff happens, at this point, it's automated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, if you wonder why 
Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's hard to it's hard to know if if, if you'll be able to actually see that on on social media. You know what I mean? If you'll be able to see or suppression of information, or whatever, or what what information you're not getting access to, or maybe it's I don't know. I mean, I. Uh, I mean, I can't tell if I'm, for example, on on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever. Uh, I'm not getting access to certain information. You know what I mean? Or just on the web in general. If well, people aren't hearing you. Well, yeah, ordinarily you'd you'd be there'd be a lot more people. Well, maybe I don't know. I think so. But uh, it's more. But it's more about information that we, the average person, is able to actually access. You know what I mean? Themselves. You know what I mean? Like obviously, you know, um, like is there information that we're not that's that's being put out there that we're not? You know, we see. I, I get the impression that we're fairly. Uh, up to speed that we have access to all of the latest information as it comes out but there's a bunch the, the question is is it's it's one of those known unknowns or unknown unknowns uh, that uh, Rumsfeld talked about after 9-11 uh, you don't know what what information you're not being given access to right you have to assume that there's maybe a bunch of other Hunter Biden laptop type scenarios even worse even more blatant that have been suppressed you know what I mean Sure, but I'm pretty confident you, you and me would be uh, all the keynotes of what goes on day to day, month by month. We become aware of because we're actively paying attention, you know, and on a mm. scanning daily basis mm. for that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more. The it's, it's more like yeah, the average because the average person maybe it's going to be they have a lot less time for it, and so they're it's more passive. So when they notice that the friends on social media are talking about at that point it's already become a quite a you know the sine wave has gone way up mm-hmm. uh, but that's if they're lucky it hasn't been suppressed mm-hmm. before then and yeah sometimes it, it takes active suppression like that was egregious what they did with the, the New York Post story of yeah. Biden's laptop right. but I think in the ideal once the machine is running properly this will never happen um, hmm. In Europe, it's just, there's a similar thing. There's I forget what the name of it is. It's got some Orwellian D- digital digital services act mm-hmm. DSA. Well, this sounds nice. The digital services. Hmm. Oh, it's we're fine. going to regulate. Well, we're going to regulate in there. What it is in practice, I think, is something like in Ireland's case, someone described it last week. Something like three hundred new jobs have been created, and they're literally sensors. Their job will be full time to monitor uh, discussion related to Irish issues by Irish posters hmm. and to report them. And they'll be censored, I guess. But again, that's, that's kind of still only the kind of uh, the, the tip of the spear. Hmm. Most of the stuff, especially when it comes to scale, the United States, you're going to need to hire like 3 million people to keep it on top of the whole public discussion. Most will be done by machine learning. Um, hmm. bit, then it just... It, it, it's all about, yeah. Um, Mike Ben said he described it as, um, well, he didn't, he, he pointed out in his interview with Carlson, and he's done other ones like with Epoch Times. Um, he began seriously watching what they were doing. He was, he was U.S. State Department, and he left. That's when he first noticed it. Because he's like, I'm in the U.S. State Department. What's my, what the hell am I doing here involved in this burgeoning censorship thing after 2016 against mm-hmm. American citizens talking about it? Well, it was all obviously in the pretext of the Russian agents, right? Mm-hmm. 
So it was projected into foreign, but no, it was internal American discussion. But he said, but that the terminology they came up with, you know, in think tanks, NGOs, and government that began this incipient censorship industry was what we need is a whole of society approach. Right. That's one of the bland terms they use whole of society approach, i.e., we need a way of seeing this. This is like post 9 11 total, stuff, information, total information awareness. awareness. If we get an idea of what the whole thing is doing at any one time, then we can watch the ones that are potentially dangerous and mm. either mm-hmm. censor outright or. Uh, <clears throat> and we're talking about the election. Um, censorship, thought control, Trump control. It's weird that Trump is the poster boy for, you know, freedom and freedom and uh, freedom and freedom. Um, and free speech and stuff like that. Who would have ever thought it that <laughs> that Trump? So anyway, yeah, he's they're just dump. <laughs> they're just trying to inundate him with with uh, with fraud uh, court cases, right? Or something like one hundred and fifty counts or something, one hundred and fifty accusations he has against him, whatever. Or indictments, indictments. Sorry. Uh, this one was uh, in the civil fraud trial running, which was basically another. I mean, you lose track of them, obviously, but this one uh, recently got uh, $355 million uh, penalty against him for allegedly inflating and or not report, you know, inflating the price or not accurately reporting the price of his properties, etc., or investments, whatever. Um, and it doesn't explicitly say tax evasion, or whatever, but that may be the case. But just for like, Overestimating or underestimating or over-reporting or under-reporting his uh, the value of his assets, basically. So the judge decided to yeah, say three hundred fifty-five million, um, and in response to <laughs> so, and then there's there was what your woman, what do you call her, that crazy lady, um, Letitia James, with the short hair, no, with the the. the she got eighty million, supposedly eighty million. Oh, in January he lost that case, and has, has the judge ruled he has to pay her 80, Carol James eighty million, eighty some million dollars in damages for emotional hurt from bad for things say, he said for saying that for saying she sexist was, things. She, saying no, saying she was full of shit, saying she was a liar, right, more or less, which she more or less is. But anyway, he, um, yeah, because she accused him of rape. Yeah, and he didn't get it. Yeah, it's it obviously happen. obviously another put up. Uh, but in response, here's what Trump's done. Trump launches sneaker line a day after a judge's order to pay three hundred fifty-five million. <laughs> Look at those gold sneakers, <laughs> and of course they're gold. So do you remember he he made a bunch of money a while ago there when the um, he was trying to raise money from something and he the, the Trump uh, NFTs he he launched Trump NFTs and uh, and a load of people just I mean it's just a way of fundraising but I'd say he's going to sell a lot of these these gold sneakers um, I'm sure there's other other than them the former president unveiled Trump sneakers at sneaker con in Philadelphia <laughs> sneaker con he placed a pair of gold sneakers which a new website has listed for $399 but you know that's not even that really expensive for, for sneakers in America these days and he named and named the never surrender high top sneaker on the podium as he spoke. So this is these are called the Never Surrender High Top Sneakers. So you can get yourself a pair of gold Never Surrender High Top Trump sneakers for $400 and you will be supporting freedom and democracy. The real kind. 
Uh, he's also selling two versions of the sneakers that have a T and a 45 in the side for $199 each. And there's also cologne and perfume for $99 each. So you can get the cologne with it. Trump cologne. With essence of Trump. It's it's so 1980s. Trump ever the entrepreneur. There, But there's a serious side to this. I mean, I, it probably wasn't. It's just a coincidence that he was doing that the day after. Are you joking? No, maybe. I think he's Well, I'm sure it was already planned before. He was, anti- he was anticipating it, probably. Um, the new, you said that the New York case, that the judges, there's a weirdo judge. I think his name is Ergonon or something. Yeah. What a creep. Um, he, he ordered him to pay $350 million in damages. Um, damages. He didn't damage anyone, but essentially because he was found to have, quote, artificially inflated the values of his properties and businesses. So the judge ruled based on expert witness, that Mar-a-Lago was worth only $18 million. Yeah, yeah. which is obviously it's, nonsense. It's 62,000 square feet. There's a house that just sold in Florida at something like 20,000 square feet. It sold for $256 million. Mm-hmm. Mar-a-Lago is three times as large. And the judge basically declared that is, he dec- it's so kind of USSR. He declared that the actual market price of this is just 18. Therefore, you've been inflating, for example, the value of your own home. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just his businesses. It was everything. I, I, don't, I didn't actually fall. I don't know, understand how they came to this, but they have, have some arcane arithmetic or they, some laws they can use. And the attorney general who brought this case, okay, everyone's hitting, hating on the judge the Attorney General, Letitia James, she has always been gunning for Trump. She, this was her moment, you know. She's a, she's a George Soros-backed, uh, funded district attorney in New York. One of his hirelings, one of many across the United States. The other one in Georgia is another one. Uh, anyway, but on just Letitia James, in her victory speech, she declared that Trump, um, the 355 damages would actually go up to $460 million once mm-hmm. interest is mm-hmm. accrued because it, it's backdated or something. Mm-hmm. Interest must be added. So she's seeking half a billion dollars. And Trump's probably only got about $2 billion to hand. So it's obvious what they're trying to do here. Strip him of campaign, campaign money. money yep. Although he hardly needs it. Um, do you, do you want to hear this? Because her, her mm-hmm. victory speech is bonkers. Like, this woman is... This is an activist, and it comes through, not so much in what she says, but in how she says it. I'm not sure this will play, though. This is, this is from NBC. Which it's four minutes long, the video, but well, I don't think it's that. Scroll down a bit. I think it's like halfway down the article. There she is. Um, let's see if that plays. Good evening. Today, justice has been served. Today, we prove that no one is above the law, no matter how rich powerful or politically connected you are everyone must play by the same rules we have a responsibility to protect the integrity of the marketplace and for years donald trump engaged in deceptive business practices and tremendous fraud donald trump falsely knowingly inflated his net worth by billions of dollars to unjustly enrich himself his family and to cheat the system Donald Trump may have authored the art of the deal, but he perfected the art of the steal. This long-running fraud was intentional, egregious, illegal, 
And he did it all of this. He did all of this with the help of the other defendants, his two adult sons and senior executives at the Trump Organization. And so, after 11 weeks of trial, we showed the staggering extent of his fraud and exactly how Donald Trump and the other defendants deceived banks, insurance companies, and other financial Mm. institutions for their own personal gain. We proved just how much Donald Trump, his family, and his company unjustly benefited from his fraud. Today, the court, once again, ruled in our favor and in favor of every hardworking American who plays by the rules. Donald Trump and the other defendants... Blah, blah, blah. Hardworking Americans. You know, he defrauded banks and insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah, we took him down. Really, really... Uh, um, another... another uh, <clears throat> she reminds me of that dude in uh, in Ukraine, Larbin as a woman. Yeah, she, she um, talks like him. Him. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of affected. Yeah, just like very oh, breathy. Yeah. Today, he will yeah. be brought down. Trump is no more. Um, another condition of the ruling is that he's barred from doing business in New York for three years. He's barred from holding any, not doing business. Well. Uh, Apart from serving as officer director of New York Corporation or other legal entities in the state for three years. Canada applied for loans from any financial institution registered in the state for three years. And that's about it. But that's only in New York, is it? But whether or not that's a problem for him, who knows? Okay, so that's why they're trying to hit his pockets and drain him of funds to run again. The Georgia case is the one where it's a federal charge. Yeah. Um, it's It's crazy. I... We're trying to overturn the results of the election. I don't think people can... Yeah. Um, it looks like it's falling apart, though, because the, Trump's um, lawyers turned it on them this week because they um, they cross-examined the district attorney. So, uh, Fanny, Miss Fanny Willis, she's the first female district attorney in Fulton County. Fulton County, remember, is the county where Atlanta is, so the largest, most populated um, county in Georgia. Of course, that's probably one of the key three places there and Detroit and Philadelphia where the funny numbers were coming in with the the mail-in ballots in 2020. That's why Trump and his team obviously chose, um, leaned heavily on the state of Georgia to investigate, to recount, and they did a recount, um, of the votes in Georgia. Um, but they flipped it on him but by charging Trump and 18 co-defendants last year with conspiring to overturn the 2020 election. So, um, have a listen to her. They cross-examined her and they, they <laughs> I think I think this one is going to collapse. And it won't cl- be collapsing on the merits of whether or not Trump's done anything wrong, but simply because the DA is just beyond corrupt. Um, just listen to this. I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign. I kept some of the cash of that. I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign. I kept some of the cash of that. I kept some of the cash of that. Like, to tell you, I just have cash in my house. I don't have as much today. And then he tells me how much it is, and I give him the money back. I don't, just like you're asking me about the money with Robin, I don't do my friends like that. So if you tell me it's a G, then you're going to get $1,000. Whatever it is, I didn't ever make him produce receipts to me. Whatever he told me it was, 
I gave him his money back. Isn't it? The characterization. I'm not going to emasculate a black man, but I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm that. sorry, what? I'm not going to emasculate a black man. Did you understand that? All right, well, I don't think we should discuss further. Mr. Sato. He also said that he was a world traveler and had been on many of the continents. Have, and the six. Have you been on any of those continents with him? Um. Besides this one. Uh, where's Belize? What continent is that? I'm not being funny. I don't know. Let's say with the exception of Belize with him. I've been to the Bahamas with him. I've been with Aruba with him. Don't embarrass me. I'm not sure what continents those are on. Whatever continents those are, that's where I've been. I'm sure if I gave it some thought, I would tell you. But whatever continents those are, that I've been to those locations, sir. Wow, geography not a strong strong suit. That is the top. Law person for Atlanta City. Atlanta, yeah. At- At- Atlanta. She <laughs> she's the district attorney. She's the top legal prosecutor of that county. Just listen to her. I, I don't know if I had a G. I mean, who? D- d- you can talk like that on the street, but you're being cross-examined in like a, a national televised case that's super important because it could theoretically put Trump behind bars. Mm-hmm. And she talks like a lowbrow, like street urchin. It's just insane. The details of what she's talking about, the reason she screwed, oh, that cash concerns her payments to, and then payments back from him, a special prosecutor she hired to help him to prosecute Trump, who's uh, a lawyer, another black man, who it turns out she's romantically involved with. One of two people she's romantically involved with. And the Trump team is, <coughs> is able to show, I think, that their relationship began before this case mm-hmm. and that that's why she brought him on and money changed conflict, hands conflict of interest massive conflict of interest but she's not going to emasculate a black man right well, how, how racist is that she, she might if it was white well she shouldn't be emasculating any man <laughs> I mean t- unless she if she means it literally like she shouldn't be cutting the balls of any man like it's not a good idea <sighs> Emasculate. The, the phrase, she obviously doesn't know she, she's a, what word she's using or she's not well, using she's properly. Such, she's such a product of our times, so though. Like, she's a single woman, but she's living a good life, you know, like a 20 something. New Orisha. Um, and that thing, like, uh, her father then, I don't know why he was cross examined too, but he's involved. Um, and the, he made some comment about, about the cash being stored in the house. But he's like something like, well, yeah, that's, that's that's what we black people do, you know. We stash we stash a bit of cash. <laughs> oh my God, he's former Black Panther, actually. And I thought it was an interesting arc. This is a guy in the '60s who's you know against the man, against the war in Vietnam, all the old classical lefty things, right? Mm-hmm. Against uh, four civil rights in America, Martin Luther King, Black Panther movement comes out of that. Fifty years later, his daughter is like this: the, the DA. Mm-hmm. in Atlanta and she gets to you know yeah. fight there with the president or the former president of the United States of America mm-hmm. well, what the hell has happened and she can say all kinds of things that are incriminating to her that reveal a kind of just all she hits all the notes of the ideology mm-hmm. you know that statement about I would never emasculate a black man you know but you might if he was white you know, mm-hmm. can yeah, you imagine yeah. if a white person said that? Yeah. If a, if a white DA was on the mm. on the stand, I would never emasculate a, a white person. Mm-hmm. But I might if they weren't one of mine. Yeah. As, 
anyway, so that's all to say that 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 one is they got a win and a loss against Holmes this week. Yeah. Um, uh, something that uh, I want to tie back into you mentioned Matt Tyvey and I don't know if he wrote a witch Schallenberger but they wrote something else recently um, <clears throat> Schellenberger last f- five days ago went on Fox News I think he spoke with Jesse Waters <clears throat> And he's since written about it on his Substack and posted the main details here on his X page. He thinks, um, he says he's got sources who tell him that it was the CIA who got the ball rolling on Russiagate. Mm-hmm. We knew that. An educated guess would tell you that, but this looks like it's the first kind of evidence-backed um, claim on that. Uh, FBI started spying on the Trump campaign after after foreign governments by chance discovered evidence that his advisors were colluding with the Russians, the government says. But now multiple credible sources tell us that the CIA asked foreign allies to spy on 26 well, Trump exactly. associates. So specifically, what, what they think they have is that Brennan... Um, Met in person or virtually with the head of the Five Eyes, the 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 other heads of uh, British intelligence, Australian, and so on, and got them, gave them a list of twenty six names, and said, "Start spying on them for dirt, and then then report back to us what you've got." Mm-hmm. So the steel dossier that came back was the finished product that the CIA had commissioned. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was like, well. You know, was that where did that? What did British intelligence initiate that? No, it came from it came mm-hmm. from Obama's CIA mm-hmm. director. Um, and what's the follow up to that? He he hinted. I don't. I haven't. I haven't got the follow up. But he hinted to Waters on Fox News that the reason for the FBI raid Mar-a-Lago in August 2022 mm-hmm. was that they were after a specific binder, which supposedly ex- has all this in black and white that Trump left with. Um. For sure. And that it exists somewhere still. No one knows where it is, but supposedly it's all laid out here in this dossier. Um, yes, he said he would publish it. It should be out by now. I don't have time to look for it now, but tomorrow, he said, on February 13th, inside the top-secret Russia collusion binder the intelligence community won't release. So that suggests they did get it from Mar-a-Lago, and that was the reason for the raid. Because it would have the original... You'd imagine, though, that when they set out on this kind of thing, that it's kind of like nothing on paper. Mm-hmm. And it would all be done, you know, just... Yeah, yeah. But no, they're off the leash, like in the US. The US is, I don't know, it's a weird version of a dictatorship, you know, in a certain sense, you know. Um They've, they've been able to achieve something that most other countries haven't in the sense that they can, they've imposed all of the major hallmarks of a dictatorship, you know, in, in, in essence, without having a dictator, you know. Uh, it's like that's too, it's too crass to have a dictator, one 
one guy up there, you know, lording it over everybody and, and being obviously dictatorial, you know. It's much better to do it by stealth behind the scenes and impose all of the features of dictatorship where you basically have a, a controlled population who have very little access to information and they're being kind of defrauded left, right and centre and their country's being run into the ground, um, but doing it without the overt hallmarks of, of dictatorship, you know. Um, but the same has happened in many Western countries as well, you know. It's just, it seems to be, the whole thing seems to be going down the tubes. And I think a lot of people feel that. And, um, what are you going to do about it? Um, sit back and watch the show. Um, you know, more, yeah. Sit back and watch the show. Um, I think it was uh, Edward Ed Snowden just tweeted this week. I'm not sure what prompted it. Um, maybe it was Navalny's death he just said it's also fucking senseless hmm. who said that? Ed Snowden hmm. and then there were like you know, thousands of comments below and everyone joined in with memes that were like full on doom <laughs> yeah, fully like blackpilled or whatever the term is and I, I just was like this is good it's bad for them. I understand the pain, but this is good because a lot of people are coming to, well, where, where we're at, you know, there's, have been, there's nothing, there's nothing to, there is nothing to do. Mm-hmm. The, the problem, the question we used to have to defend off the most about 10 plus years ago was, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And now it's more like more and more people are seeing it's clown shoes and it's depressing as hell. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, it is. That's it. That's, that's all you, that's basically, you've done it. You've arrived. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, what can you do in your personal life? Mm -hmm. At least that's, that's, that's the major question. It's no longer like, what can I do to fix everything out there? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's how do, how do I manage this, you know, slow but increasingly increasingly fast burn um, of the planet, basically, and everything that, you know, that we've all you know, become used to and stability, security, uh, it all starting to slowly, and like I said, increasingly quickly, uh, start, to, start to fall away uh, while you need to just, you know, Need to, you need to chill out. Like you need to take it easy. You need to take a different perspective on the whole thing. Because when you can't do anything about it, there's no point in fretting about it or, or trying to to do anything about it or joining some group that's going to save the planet or save the world or stop this or stop that or stop yeah. the other. You're not going to stop any of it. So you have to find a way to. You have to, you have to ultimately fall back on some kind of philosophical approach to the whole thing. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean you just go and start navel gazing for the rest of your days. You, you keep watching it because it's very informative to see in terms of how the world works and the people that rule the world and uh, the types of human beings that <clears throat> that we share this planet with. It's all very useful from a learning perspective, you know. But in terms of doing anything about it, forget about it, you know. And just don't don't lament it because, you know, it'll, it, it can only go so far and then it'll... It, something will break and collapse and then there'll be something something afterwards, something will emerge out of the out of the chaos you know um so so wait for that and maybe you know keep your eyes on that as well you know but yeah 
Um, I mean, well, like probably one of the depends on the person, but Gaza is is a situation you know that obviously the Israelis are just inexorably carrying on with their final solution uh, against the Palestinians, pushing them all into the very very have pushed them all into the very south of of uh, of Gaza into um, Rafa, and um, there's nowhere left, nowhere else to go, nowhere left to go, you know. Um, and they obviously plan on evicting them completely, you know, of, of pushing them all out, like because there's no, there's no way they're going to tolerate. There's nothing to go back to of, of any substance, you know. And there's not going to Israel won't allow Gaza to be rebuilt as a Palestinian state. Um, it'll be part of Israel, and the Palestinians, well, well, some of them might have to swear allegiance to Israel and to um, live as second-class citizens like the people in the West Bank. Although they may have plans for the West Bank as well. Who knows? But definitely, Gaza is, is is no more, and the the people of Palestinians in Gaza are, you know, that's Gaza is over basically as a as a as a place for Palestinians to live, in, in the way they have been living. Um, do you do you think they will? Um, you mentioned some might just accept second class citizenship or status, but do you think some will uh, indeed go overseas? Some won't be allowed to. Uh, won't be allowed, and obviously some vetting process will go on, you know. And um, I mean, there's a, there's a video I was just watching there. Where is it? Um, it was actually on CNN. Um, have a look at this. Like, I mean, just in terms of understanding the mentality um, of. I mean, you don't have to watch this, but it's just a video from. On, um, on the current situation. No, it's just one video from what's going on in Gaza, and it's um, it's it's of a, a really soldier, and he made it for like TikTok or well Instagram. He publishes, he publishes it on Instagram, right? So it's really soldier, just with some funky music and films uh, that blowing up a mosque. Because um, you know, uh yeah, I mean the. You can play it there if you want, Tony. This is a how-to video on how to blow up a mosque in Gaza. Format is internet fluent. The content is very real. Filmed, edited, and posted on Instagram by an Israeli soldier. It's one of dozens reviewed by CNN. For many in 2024, social media is every... So... I mean, there was nothing like that on... I mean, maybe it was the internet age, was the way it's progressed, but there's nothing like that out of Iraq or Syria or anywhere else the US military have been overtly, you know what I mean, particularly in Iraq, you know. That was early on, I suppose, before much much of the way of social media existed. But it's crazy like to think that... I don't think that would be allowed, uh, even at this stage. It wouldn't be allowed. Uh, any American soldier or any British soldier or whoever, French soldier, who who... Who try, wanted to try to try to do something like that? You know, publish videos and blowing up a mosque, right? A religious. I mean, it's like, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, you know, it's the impunity. Well, it's is, like is, if, it's if, if Nazis could, if Nazis had, yeah, exactly. If Nazis had internet uh, at the time uh, in the, during the Second World War, they probably would have filmed themselves and published videos other than blowing up uh, synagogues, you know, or firing whatever. Just or just blowing them up, yeah. So it's it's weird. The Israelis are just uh, 
they have an impunity. They have a sense of an impunity uh, about about Palestinians. You know, they, they think that the whole world has accepted that they can do whatever they want. The Palestinians that the Palestinians are less than human, and, and that's all there is to it. Um, There's still no significant sign of any kind of regional war. Pushback, no pushback. So Israel will get away with this. Yeah, and that will be it. We'll just carry on. We'll limp on to the next stage. Yep. Seems to be the case. Anybody had hopes of some kind of a judgment day for Israel, you know, or hmm. uh, getting their comeuppance, we'll have to we'll have to wait. And I don't think it'll be at the hands of any anybody in the region, you know. And is that just a way of this world, or are the conditions just particular at this time? Do you think? You know what I mean. It's like mm. it was always so that those with power might makes right. Yeah, the strong do what they. Yeah. Do what they will, and the, the weak shall suffer. The weak suffer what they what they must. They must. Um, yeah, to a large extent. Yeah, nothing changes. Nothing has changed really. Human condition, human condition, and human experiences. I mean, in broad terms, just similar for forever. You know what I mean? Technology be damned, and it has no impact whatsoever on uh, on human morality. You know, uh, you seem to have a, cyc- a cycling round of of just uh, I, a lot, a significant percentage of of. People in positions of power are significant percentage of yeah. All people in positions of power being kind of psychopathic or just fundamentally evil, and them doing whatever they want. And most of the population uh, on beneath them just being uh, apathetic or passive, you know. Uh, and yeah, twas ever so. Um, so that's some. That's a again. There you're getting into kind of philosophical perspective. You know, yeah. you have to. You have to do that because what are you going to do? You you're have gonna, to. I've seen so many march. people saying that the. Ah, a couple this morning, people commenting that they think they're losing their mind, you know, they're really affected by this. They've been, they've had their head in this, staring mm-hmm. at this since October 7. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're trying to, they're trying to, they're approaching psychology by trying to suggest, well, maybe that's what ultimately this is all about. It's, it's to make me try and lose my mind, mm-hmm. so I refuse to. That's mm-hmm. good. That's good. That's a start. Because mm-hmm. don't turn away, but when you're looking at it... Don't be too invested in it, yeah. Um, in, yeah. In changing the outcome or when you can't. You know, it's hard. It's a fine line to walk, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not easy. Um, yeah. Um, we, we skipped over another Russia-Russia thing. Mm. Um, kind of also came more or less at the same time as Navalny, just before Russian space nukes. Mm. Um, what the hell is going on there? Don't know. U.S. Senator says, oh my God, national security crisis. Mm. And, and Jake Sullivan says, we're not supposed to talk about this yet, mm. but we will tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you were asking me, and I said, ah, it's probably just bullshit. But maybe there is something to it. Because it's quite specific, you know? Mm. The claim is that the new national security vet the United States um, the key gang of eight in Congress has been informed that the Russians may the, the quote is they may be developing a capability in outer space that would be able to knock out US military satellites because mm-hmm. when I heard that explanation I thought what well, that's pretty vague What's with the urgency? The urgency of, oh my God, tell everyone quick, but don't panic because it's only in research phase. Mm-hmm. But then I also thought, well, we know Russia has 
some serious missiles that can be like ground launch and hit satellites probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Oh, of course, this the reason for my skepticism at the LSIP was because this is in the context of Congress, the Senate passing, but now it goes to the House for this latest, basically, uh, gift to Ukraine of $60 billion. Mm-hmm. We had John Kirby specifically <clears throat> linked the two issues because he said, no, he didn't specifically, he specifically linked what just took place in outside Donetsk City. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirby said, if the Republicans do not take action soon, i.e. approve another 60 billion tranche to Ukraine, what is happening now in Avdiivka may well happen in other parts of this front. Mm. We have to send Ukraine or the whole front will collapse. Mm. Um, that's yeah. why I thought, well... <laughs> and here's some special and here's, Russian, and here's Russian, some Russian space nukes. Just, just as you know, motivation. As motivation. If 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 we don't give 60, 60 billion to Ukraine, Russia will get its space nukes. Or and if we if we if we give if we do give them the sixty billion, then Russia won't get its space nukes somehow. Uh, or just Russian space nukes. Just just think about Russian space nukes, and then and then think about giving the money. Uh, think about. You know, Putin. <clears throat> think about Putin. You know, standing over you with a bloody knife in his hand, <laughs> and then think about whether you want to give sixty billion. Well, it was weird because in in the explanation they ended up giving, they after spending thirty six forty eight hours panicking people on the nighttime news that there was a new imminent urgent national security threat. Mm. When it came time to explaining, they urged people not to panic because the threat did not affect Americans directly, mm. not even American soldiers. Mm. It's to do with satellites in space. Mm. Um, Scott Ritter thinks he's written a piece for Consortium News. He, he's, he's thinking, well, no smoke without fire. He's open to it all being smoke, but he thinks maybe there's something to a new, a new space threat. Um, and that is perhaps something that has rendered the U.S. program obsolete. Officially, they're all under an total ban of anything nuclear in outer space, mm. the US as well. But in, in the meantime, what they've done is a kind of, um, similar to drone warfare um, in, in regular atmosphere, they swarmed, they've swarmed outer space near, near Earth and further with thousands of American satellites. And they're ostensibly all for, facility, for civilian purposes. Yes, like Musk's Starlink. Like Musk's Starlink, for example. That's why Musk gets a pass. Falcon, one of his Falcons uh, delivered a US satellite mm-hmm. as part of this program. I can't remember what it stands for. It's yeah. PWSA. That, it's been a long-running program. And anyway, Ritter thinks that this is why one of the senators panicked and jumped the, jumped the shark on it and spoke openly about it a day earlier because he's directly involved I think his constituency is one of the the key defense contractors mm. in this semi-secret maybe eventually nuclear well military capacity US uh, satellite program and that the reason he's the, the thing is they're all saying things without saying the, there's a quiet part they never articulate so you have to try and read into mm-hmm. what's going on behind what the words they're saying is so Ritter's best guess, if there is something to this, is that Russia has indeed just done something, not research maybe in the future, done something that renders a current wish or 
in process space-based capacity of the United States obsolete mm -hmm. and that that's why they went shit mm -hmm. so they went shit but th and then they told everyone else you should also think this is really bad but mm. then they never flesh out what it is you right. think this is really bad but it's trust right. us we know it's bad yeah. <laughs> they, they continually play a game all politicians especially in the West play, continue to play a game of you know I'm going to say something uh, that's going to be couched in vague uh, metaphorical terms that are only only hint at what I'm really trying to say. And your job is to figure out what I really mean. It's like, that, that's, that's the politician's job these days. Most of them. Um, yeah. But the, the DOD and the Pentagon and, you know, the US government is heavily dependent on CIA, etc. Intelligence are heavily dependent on Musk, you know, through SpaceX and, uh, and Starlink and stuff. Um, which is why he gets a pass on Twitter, you know. Uh, for now the only thing you got yeah for now they probably got all sorts of different things you know in the works <laughs> in the event of basically trying to take Twitter from him but because uh, as we were saying earlier on uh, information is extremely important to these people and what information people get but uh, the only one the only ones who are who are allowed to go after after Musk and at least put some pressure on him were the were the uh, that group of people uh People of the light. Currently inhabiting the Middle East, yeah. Right. Uh, currently running rampant in the Middle East. Um, so and some other lawfare, like what they did to him in Delaware, a few pending court cases yeah. on him firing employees, stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, you'd think it would be a lot hotter. This yeah, was Trump be, yeah. running X. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, they need him. They need him for the military high ground, which mm -hmm. ultimately is space. But then, maybe I wonder about Musk. Did he plan all this this way? You know, who knows? Probably not. Um, probably not. It's just the way it happened. Yeah. Um, article here: Ukraine, right? Mm. Ukraine, Ukraine. It's not just the war. Again, the the extent to which they're tying at the hip the entire existential fate of the collective West with this bloody war is is crazy. You remember uh, last month. Mm. The British, much fanfare, much fanfare uh, Rishi Sunak was in Kiev signing a long-term security cooperation agreement with the regime there, which is surely about to fall, or, or Zelensky. I don't know how long he's going to last. Mm -hmm. um, here we are. France has done the same thing. Ten-year pact signed with Zelensky. Um, mirrors defense agreements Kiev recently signed with Berlin. Oh, with London. And the other one is, indeed, Berlin. Here's... Both of these deals were signed on the same day. They're such yes men. France and Germany, it's just, it's so, it's so pathetic to watch. It's money for our economy. 20 years ago, they both told the US to get lost on the Iraq war. Um, and now it's like, yes, 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 master. Germany and Ukraine signed long-term security deal because Zelensky was in Munich for the Munich Security Conference again. There was, there was something built Which today. Which is an American think tank, by the way. There was something built today about uh, a scandal, whether or not it'll come to light or whatever, but Germany and Ukraine, German supplied the U Ukrainian military with equipment that was unsuitable for, for combat at inflated prices. Uh, this is in build. The country received 48 armoured vehicles, the casing of which protects only from handguns, according to Bild. Build as a German newspaper. The authorities decided to transfer the equipment to Kiev due to the low cost and fast delivery times. 
Ukraine, of course, would like mine-protected vehicles, but the German side did not offer them, an anonymous Ukrainian official told the publication. On the world market, the vehicles cost about 200000 while the German Ministry of Defence paid 600000 apiece for them. So you see, see how that works? It's like, so you've got these dodgy armoured vehicles worth about 200000 They're not very well armoured or anything. You can, they'll only protect against handguns. Uh, and they bought them from some other EU state or some stockpile somewhere, and they're only worth 200000 but Germany pays 600000 to build. Germany builds... Taxpayer, the taxpayer six hundred thousand for them hands those to Ukraine, records them as being worth six hundred thousand to Ukraine, which then Ukraine is on the, on the, on the line for basically you owe us six hundred thousand or something equivalent or some equivalent of I we're racking up your debt here uh, of six hundred thousand for things that we paid three times the price for and it was some other con- some other European countries or even Americans they don't say exactly which armored vehicles they were uh, that were just rust buckets that are are pretty crap uh, but we can get rid of them and gener- build, you know, build the taxpayer for that money and then supposed to get it back from Ukraine in the form of you know access to Ukrainian infrastructure access to Ukrainian ports etc etc Wh- or whatever is left for Ukraine afterwards uh, it's a racket the whole thing is a massive racket. racket and you know how much they paid collectively the US and, and Europe have paid almost a quarter of a trillion dollars they've given a quarter of a trillion dollars in aid, quote-unquote, in aid to Ukraine. Now, very little of that actually went to Ukraine, right? But a lot of that just generating money within your own country and giving it to your defence contractors or all sorts of financial, you know, uh, magical manoeuvring, basically magic, magic numbers type thing. That, that, that into, And, of course, a lot of kickbacks, a lot of enriching of uh, individuals as well. And when I think it, it's a uh, massive racket. And when it does get to Ukraine... And that's why they're excited about it. It goes back into buying palaces in Switzerland. Yeah, and that's why they're super excited about signing 10-year deals. 10, year of, 10 years of dodgy deals. 10 years deals. of guaranteed... Dodgy, dodgy, corrupt deals. Um, um, and then at the same time, while this racket is obviously damaging the US economy, European economies, French foreign minister warns an economic shock is coming if Russia wins in Ukraine. Of course they are. Why? How's that going to happen? Control over Ukraine's fertile lands would allow oh, Moscow to attack, in quotes, European farmers. They've said that before. Yeah. You're attacking, the French state is attacking European farmers, not Russia. So much harsh shit. Ah, these people are so full of it. It's amazing. Anyway, I can't take any more. <laughs> it's been two hours and I'm calling quits right there with the face of that young lightness loafer's Ex-husband. Uh, ex-husband of the, the new foreign, foreign minister, minister, who's also like 34. Of the no new exper- prime minister. new prime minister, who has uh, no experience. And now that this guy, this guy's been on holiday to Spain, he's the French foreign minister, and he's, he, his, his uh, qualifications for the job is that he was he was born in Spain, or he, had, he grew up in Spain, so he knows what France looks like from... Uh, the outside. Just from over the border. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we wonder why we just... Go whatever, dude. Whatever. Anyway, let them let them do their worst because it'll all go nowhere and it'll just end up in nonsense. And people just need to realize that that it's all going down the tubes. And just protect yourself. Stay alert. Stay watching. Uh, you know, watching what's going on. Keep ahead of the curve and don't don't sweat any of it. Uh, sit back and enjoy the show to the best of your ability. And on that note, um, did you hear about the king who was exactly twelve inches tall? God, he was short. He was a great ruler. <laughs> <laughs> and on that 
again final another final hilarious note we'll leave it there for this week folks thanks for watching listening and commenting we'll be back next week with another show or maybe not next week you never know anyway until then have a good one and keep your chin up see you later bye. thanks for watching bye everyone can't stop the signal now mm-hmm.